0: If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Titus tonight, in the book of Titus. You know, somewhere in the Bible, I'm pretty sure it says that all of the appointed time that the elders have set aside must be used, so um, because we have a little bit of extra time tonight, just have to do it, so <laughs> I stand between you and pie, so uh, let's get to work. <laughs> all right, we are nearing the end of the year. And let me just do one housekeeping item with you tonight, then we'll uh, move forward. On Sunday nights, we um, have been teaching in groups or themes, uh, as we have sections of of teachings that we do, and we have just finished um, last two months teaching a series of uh, lessons on Sunday night about the problem of evil and how God deals with evil in our world. And we brought that to a close, and now we're in the month of November, and we're going to enter into a three-part, very short series on the book of Titus. We're not going to be able to go through line by line, verse by verse. Uh, We'll do that at a later date with Titus, but we're going to take each chapter and kind of grab an overview of it um, and look at how Titus is really a letter from Paul that is written like a blueprint of what a healthy church should be. So if you're going to establish and build a church from scratch the way that God wants you to, Titus is a great place to look. And then we're going to, um, so we'll do that in November. And then in December, to finish the year on Sunday nights, um, we're actually going to have a few visiting preachers come in. One of our own actually is a, not necessarily a visiting preacher, but um, some of you may know on Thursdays, Matt and I train evangelists and work with evangelists around the Columbus area, about nine or 10 gather both in-house and uh, on Skype, on iPads and stuff. We, we have it all rigged up. It's not very fancy, but it works. And, um, and this is a work that you all allow Matt and I to do, and it is blessing the local congregations in many different places. Um, some of these places are rural, where these guys work alone. And um, one of the dark secrets about ministry is that it can be incredibly lonely. You know, imagine walking into a building like this, you know, 10,000 square feet, All by yourself. It's quiet. Week after week, month after month, you know. And these guys work alone, and it can be pretty lonely. And you see in the Bible, actually, a portrait of guys not working alone, but working in teams, right? Paul never just randomly went off by himself. He took people with him. And so, Matt and I have been uh, pouring into these young guys and and trying to help them um, really get established and work. Uh, It's been great so far. And so, we're going to bring a few of them in and want you to meet them and, and know the kind of work that you are. Uh, investing in. This is your work that you're investing in as well and want you to know about that. So we'll be bringing some guys from Columbus and David Lee, one of our own, who is training for ministry. In fact, it's uh, it was his idea for us to begin this class. Um, he, David is seriously discerning and praying uh, his pathway into ministry. Uh, he'll be preaching for us as well in December. So all right, enough housekeeping uh, to get you ready for our Sunday nights for the rest of the year. Let's get into Titus. Um, let me read chapter 1 with you and then uh, we'll have some thoughts to go along with it let's start Paul a servant of God an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of faith of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I had directed you. If anyone is above reproach, The husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting the whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans A prophet of their own said, "Christians are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. As I mentioned, we're going to do um, a really quick three-part series in Titus. And the overall concept of what we're trying to unearth from this book, knowing that we can't go line by line and really extract everything that's there for this period of time that we're going to study is We're going to look at Titus as if we're looking at a letter from an apostle on how you would go about drawing out the blueprints of what a healthy church really looks like. How do we build a healthy church? This this letter was written by the apostle Paul to an evangelist that he had trained named Titus. He had taken Titus on some trips with him. Titus had watched him. Titus had worked with him. He had seen Paul go into places and evangelize non-Christians convert them to faith he had seen Paul establish churches in a particular region and he had watched Paul leave those places in hopes that they would be a healthy and vibrant body of believers so Paul then leaves Titus on an island called Crete it's part of Greece it's the one if you look at uh, Athens and where that is kind of following along uh, the coastline you go south and a little bit east you'll see it's the largest island that's there And this was quite a tough task. Paul was asking Titus to go around to the communities, to the cities, to the towns that were on this island called Crete, and either find the current believers that were there, which there were some, and convert people to Christianity, and then in those towns establish local bodies of believers, local churches, in a healthy way. This was tough for a lot of reasons first of all Crete in general was known amongst that world as a pretty rough population you notice down in verse 12 look what um, Paul quotes one of the prophets uh, using that word to say like you know one of the poets one of the prophets one of the writers of these own people who lived in this culture joked about them when he said that Cretans are always liars they're evil beasts these Cretans are lazy gluttons that's what they are in fact in that time, if somebody were, somebody were to call you a Cretan, that was a derogatory term. You know, if I were to walk by and say, man, you're such a Cretan. Would, they, everyone would know exactly what you were saying. It was derogatory to call somebody that because you were usually implying they were worthless, they were lazy, they were no good, they were always messing things up, they were self-interested, they brought no benefit, so to speak. And so, this was a tough place for Titus to work. Not only was was it tough for Titus to work there, but Titus also had the task of coming alongside of people that have already become Christians and helping them get organized in a healthy way. How do we know that Christians were already on the island of Crete? Well, most likely there were a small group of believers already there before Paul had sent Titus and left Titus there because we see in Acts chapter 2 when um, Luke is listing the groups of people that are there listening to Peter and the rest of the apostles preach about the gospel when the church is born, it says that there are Cretans that are there. They're listening. They're hearing the gospel. And most likely, a small portion of those people believed, became Christians, and then returned after leaving Jerusalem back home to Crete. So there's some... Aspect, or so there's some circle, population of believers that are probably still meeting in uh, the synagogues and the places where Jews would meet, whether it was a prayer place or the synagogue in these towns. And Titus had the job of coming in there with the authority of Paul as an apostle and helping them get organized so that they might be sustainable and healthy. This letter serves, as I've said, as a blueprint for building healthy churches the word that the Bible uses in place of healthy is the word sound most of you probably have heard people speak about having sound doctrine or being a sound preacher or having a sound church you guys heard that word used before and and what that word means is is healthy or vibrant having vitality that's what that word means and so Uh, when Paul was telling Titus to make sure that the elders there in this town were teaching sound doctrine, his point was not just that the doctrine was correct, but also that the doctrine was helping people become healthy and vibrant. And so for that reason, we're going to survey the book of Titus. And let me just break it down for those that are here that won't be back the next two weeks, maybe your visitors or have schedule problems. For your future study, chapter 1 of Titus, We're going to see that leadership defines the church. Chapter 1. All of chapter 1 was Paul to Titus appoint elders for this reason. Leadership defines the local church. Number 2, chapter 2, discipleship builds the church. Everybody good? Leadership defines the church. Discipleship builds the church. Chapter 3, evangelism spreads the church. Blueprint for a healthy church. Leadership defines the church. Discipleship builds the church. Evangelism spreads the church. We're going to do chapter one tonight. I promise it won't be too long. So tonight as we talk about leadership defining the church, this is the first task that Paul instructs Titus in. Out of all the things that he wants Titus to do, imagine being you know, a church planter, a church establisher on your own in this island, trying to work with people. What's the first thing you should do when there's a million things you could think of? Establish leadership. This is the first thing that Paul commands Titus to take on. And when he gives him this overall responsibility, and you see in verse five, set in order the things that are lacking in these local churches, his first job in setting in order that which is lacking is establish good leadership appoint elders in every place in every town establish good leadership why why would that be the first job out of all the things that he could do maybe cleaning up worship concepts or ideas maybe correcting some doctrines maybe converting and evangelizing non Christians out of all the things when Titus descends upon a local community and he meets the the, sm- the small group of Christians that are probably there. Why is get good leadership in that place the first thing? Well, I think Paul knows that the local congregation can only be as healthy as its leadership. It can only be as healthy as its leadership. This is why I say leadership defines the church. And let me clarify, what I mean is not that the church is randomly... Defined by how leaders want to define it. That's not what I'm saying I'm not saying that leaders whoever is appointed just gets to pick and choose how they define what the church is So when I say leadership defines the church, it's not not what I'm saying that they define what the church is But what I mean is leadership sets the tone and the temperature of the local body It's set by the leaders the way that they lead what they value what they establish what they prioritize the way that they live, the way that they operate, the way, the, way, the way that they work with the members, the way that they set the tone will determine the overall health of that body. There's three simple ideas we're going to learn about church leadership tonight um, as we work together through this. First one is in verses one through three that local church leadership, local church leadership is based upon God's authority. The authority is actually not their own of local church leaders. The authority isn't something that they own themselves apart from God. It is based upon God's authority himself. In fact, Paul spoke to Titus in chapter 1, verse 1, out of his position, when he says, he's speaking from his position as an apostle. He says, I'm a servant of God, and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And from this position... He appeals to Titus that his authority to command Titus what to do comes not from himself, but from God. Look down in verse 3 when he says it this way. At the proper time, God manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted, which now he's entrusting to Titus what to do, by the command of God. Now, there are times, we see Paul do this with Timothy, where um, most certainly is the will of God, but, but Paul speaks from his authority when he says to Timothy, I charge you to do this, or I command you to do this. Paul, in other times, like in Corinth, would say, listen, this is not the command of God, but this is what I would suggest with regards to some things that had to do with marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But here, Paul is saying, from my position as God's servant and the apostle of Christ, I'm entrusting to you, Titus, the command of God. This is God's authority. You see, here's the the deal. The authority that church leaders actually possess is borrowed authority. Church leaders are actually stewards of the authority that individual members have transferred over to Christ. Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ, now resurrected, has all power, and he's been lifted high above. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's in all authority, and he is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. And so when you become a Christian, one of the things that's entailed in you becoming a Christian is not just the benefit of Jesus saving you so you don't have to go to hell, one of the things that happens when you become a Christian is you actually transfer authority of your life back to his lordship did you know you bought into that when you became a Christian it's part of the deal that when you become a Christian submission to Jesus Christ is not just hey I got kind of a problem can you bail me out but it's actually I'm pretty terrible at running my life do you mind being my Lord And I find that this is why I think Peter started with Lord and then said Christ, Savior in Acts chapter 2 when he said that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord, Master, Sovereign, Ruler, and Savior. And you never really will relate to Jesus properly until you understand that you run your life pretty terribly without Him. And when you become a Christian, you transfer that leadership, that authority that you've tried to possess back to Christ. And then in the local church context, here in the local church, that authority that you have given back to Christ over your life is stewarded by local leaders. They are the extension of the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ as leaders of his local body. Everybody with me so far? You have given the authority of your life to Jesus Christ. It's probably a moment to take a gut check to ask yourself if you really have given Him authority over your life. And then those that are called to be leaders in the local church steward that authority that you've given to Christ locally. They manage that. They steward it. They're they're stewards of God in the local place. So all members under the rule and authority of Christ, as an extension of Christ's lordship, local leaders seek to help people come under the direction of Christ even more in their life that's the aim of their work is to help more and more people dive deeper and deeper into the life and the body of Jesus Christ to be led by him this is the realm of leadership's authority that they do all things to bring all people under the lordship of Jesus Christ this involves protecting sheep from harmful people like false teachers this involves disciplining wayward sheep Their authority to resist false teaching or their authority to discipline wayward sheep, their authority to ensure good teaching, their authority to have high expectations of you. Yes, elders have expectations of members. Their authority to do these things all is in the realm of helping you come under more and more the lordship of Jesus. Everybody understand that? Local church leadership is based upon the authority of God. And the goal is that you would have all of your authority in your life under the rule of Christ. And leaders come along to help you do that as stewards of that leadership, of that authority. Okay, number one, leadership is based on God's authority. Number two, leadership is collaborative by nature. You notice that Paul doesn't really spend a lot of time, actually no time, at all in chapter 1, Clarifying an organizational chart uh, amongst Titus and the leaders. Do you notice that he doesn't say uh, you need to find some people to manage you, Titus? So go find some good people to manage you. Nor does he say you need to find some people to manage Titus. See, a lot of people kind of get mixed up in, in how the org chart kind of works in Christianity and how um, who has control and authority and who's Here, here's here's the idea of what Paul is teaching Titus that leadership is incredibly collaborative. Verses five through nine teaches this. You see, he commands the evangelist, a local church leader, to fulfill his God-given task. His role in the local church is, one, to set in order things that are lacking, two, to train other people to be teachers and preachers and leaders. That's what Paul told Timothy, commit these things to faithful men that they might be committing them to others as well. And three, to proclaim and teach the word of God. Preach the word in season and out of season. He does that to to evangelists. And in his first importance of getting things set in order is to make sure the role of elder is established so that God-given leadership can be done in the local church. The Bible presents these two roles as designed to work as a team in church leadership. All through scripture, we see these two roles working hand in hand, one deferring to the other uh, when certain tasks need done. Let me give you a few examples. Like Paul tells Titus, who is the evangelist, set in order things that are lacking. But then yet he tells elders, provide oversight to the local body. Do you see how this works together? So let's say the evangelist here, that's that's the role that I operate in here. Matt and I work together as evangelists. And we bring to the elders a concern or a thought or idea. of like, Here's a way that the church could become closer to what we see in Scripture. Now, because they're designed to work with elders, they don't just don't go off by themselves and stand up and say, hey, I've got a new idea for you guys. I've got something I want to share with you. Here's how we're going to set an order because their job is not oversight. The elders do that. Let me give you another example. Paul tells Timothy to commit the faithful things that he has learned To other faithful men so that they will be able to teach others also the role of training future teachers and leaders is given to Timothy but at the same time Paul and later Peter would tell elders to shepherd the flock in fact this happens on a very dynamic level here I'll give you an example most of you know uh, remember Jeff Collier who uh, was trained by Matt and myself here to get it he had a desire to get into ministry We spent the better part of a year working with him and training with him. And as he got closer to the time of being serious about getting into ministry, Matt and I sent him to our elders and said, these guys are your shepherds here. They're they're your elders. They provide you oversight and guidance. And as Jeff prayerfully worked through the process of getting into ministry, uh, working through some internships and then finding a full-time position in New Concord, our elders were the ones that were directly shepherding his life, praying with him, meeting with him, leading him. It was a collaborative effort. It was beautiful the way that it works. Another example, Paul would say multiple times, but specifically to Timothy, to the, to the evangelist, preach the word in season and out of season, teach and preach. And yet we see him tell the elders here to make sure that they are doing sound teaching and rebuke people who are contradicting sound teaching. Do you see how the evangelist is to preach and teach sound teachings? And the elders are called and commissioned in their oversight and protection of the flock to, contradict, to, to hold accountable and rebuke those who contradict sound teaching. So these uh, individuals are to work in collaboration so that the church could have local leadership. So what are they actually to do? As I've mentioned already, the evangelists we see, sets in order things that are lacking. That, that phrase set in order actually is where we get the word um, ortho. Uh, the idea of like an orthopedist who works on a, a doctor of, of the bones. And the word ortho means to set straight that which has become crooked. That which is not yet straight. That which is not yet standing properly. And so he calls evangelists to look into this and to work at it and to devote themselves to setting straight And making able to stand that which is not yet standing. The second thing is train other people to be leaders and teachers. And third, as I've said, is to teach and preach the beautiful richness of the mystery of the gospel. What are elders to do? We look in verse nine, if you read this with me. He says about the elders that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he can do two things: be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So you might say that elders are called to guide, guard, and maybe occasionally direct us, right? Oh, come on. You got that guide, guard, direct us? When you were a kid, didn't you think that was one word when people used to pray that? No, okay. You didn't grow up in the Church of Christ. That's fine. (laughs) Guide, guard, and direct us? All right. So elders are, verse 9, to hold firm to God's trustworthy word. And as these are men who hold firm to God's word, they do two things with it. Number one, they guide people with it. He says that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, meaning they're able to, whether it's in a public setting or a private setting, based upon what they've learned, guide people with sound teaching so that their lives reflect what God wants it to reflect. They're to be able to do that. And the second thing they do is in guarding or protecting is in verse 9 they're able to rebuke people who preach and teach that contradict what we see in scripture so evangelists and elders are to work together let me finish this lastly so leadership um, is given by God's authority it's under God's authority leadership is collaborative in its nature and number three leadership is for the sake of God's people Look in verses 1 and 2. Paul says he's a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began. And he goes on to say that. The role of local church leadership is to be exercised for the sake of God's people. Those who are called to be leaders have a unique opportunity to express their personal love for Jesus in the service and the love of other people. I'm reminded of how Jesus set Peter up to become a great elder in the church. After Peter had denied Jesus three times, uh, he had been brokenhearted, he wept bitterly. In fact, in John chapter 21, he says... He's going to go fishing and he's contemplating probably just getting back into the fishing business and leaving all this behind because he's failed. And then there's Jesus on the shore of the sea and Peter sees him and he comes in and he's carrying a bunch of fish and they prepare and they have breakfast together and Jesus calls Peter aside. And he asks him three times this very simple question, Peter, do you love me? He wants to know, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, the end result of Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? Was not just so Jesus would feel better about himself or be rest assured that he's not going to bail out on him again. Those are all important, I'm sure. And, And, you know, we could probably credit Jesus with the ability to know whether Peter loved him or not. But he was setting Peter up to teach him something. When he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do do you phileo me? Do you love me like family? Will you sacrifice for me? Will you love me above all other things? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And in that moment, Jesus had a chance to teach him what it means to love Jesus. When Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, I love you. Jesus said three times, if you love me, take care of my people. The simplest way for church leaders to manifest that they love Jesus is to tend to feed and care for his people. Church leadership is solely for the sake of God's people. And this one idea is under grave attack in our culture where we have a lot of preachers that are that are more like entrepreneurs with business plans <laughs> than really you know lovers of people at heart that in a culture where we have told people that if you earn celebrity status you'll be important and you can feel good about yourself that if people know your name you'll finally matter and be significant we have eroded at the core local level the value of the church leader caring for the church people under his care we've eroded that and listen it's not just preacher's fault it's your fault too because we've elevated the preacher we've elevated the elder to that status we're both in this together that what matters is actually in the local place how we work together how you work with your elders here how you love them and care for them and let them lead you and how you hold them accountable and how you work with them and support them and how they work and support and love you at the local church level that's why this matters The fundamental question all church leaders must ask is this. Is everything we're doing the will of God? And is everything we're doing the best for God's people? Now, I'm privileged to serve with a group of men who live and breathe this foundational statement. And I can't help but think that this particular lesson was divinely appointed by God to land at this particular time in our church life here. Uh, allow me to be just personal for a moment. I've I actually plan. I set out strategy for what we're doing in our teaching, and this this sermon on this date was planned six to seven months ago. No idea, just thought it would be a great topic, thought studying Titus in this way would help our church in some way, and six months ago, I put the plans together and emailed it to Karen and said, here's what's coming in November, uh, just have it for the bulletin, great. And as we're doing other things, we come along to this, we come to this place where what is church leadership really for? To be very personal to our congregation, I think we're all well, well aware that there have been times and moments where changes have occurred, where leadership has, taken, um, has done some things, has tried to lead us, and it's caused some waves at times. I think we're all aware that there's been some adjustments to the way that we distribute communion here, the way that we lead our minds in that, as well as there's been a class that's been calling us to dig incredibly deep And how we understand and think about how we serve in ministry. And some people have experienced some joy and growth. Some people have, it's been business as usual. And for others, there's been some concern. And I want to take just a moment to say a few things about that. Number one, concerns that you experience, that you express to our elders, to our elders is evidence that you care about this church. They know that, and they appreciate that. So concerns that you bring to them is concerns that you care about that church. I would ask you to be considerate about how you present that to them in the context that you do care about the body, about Christ, and about honoring Him. Point number two, I would say, is this. The men who serve as leaders here, who have made maybe particular adjustments to things, who are teaching particular classes, I know this for a fact. Wake up each and every day and hit their knees in prayer and ask, how can we best serve the people of God at Pickerington? And even if you disagree with some of the things that that have happened, even if you're concerned about them, I would at least ask you to consider this, to be incredibly grateful that you have a body of elders that spend an immeasurable amount of time together thinking and praying and studying and talking about this idea. How do we help uh, the believers in Pickerington come closer to Jesus Christ? They might make some mistakes. They might misstep occasionally. Matt and I do daily. But I can tell you that what's on their mind is not just budgets and blacktop on the surface and getting new carpet in the building. Those things they think about. But what dominates their thinking is how do we help the people under our care come to know Jesus better? And let's at least have gratitude for that. Likewise, I can speak for Matt and I that we believe that deeply. We wake up each day excited about the job that God has allowed us to have, helping you become everything that, and us help become everything we're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. And I tell you this for one reason, that I think a source of some frustration sometimes exists, and I've seen this in the past at times, I've felt it myself, can stem from the belief that you're not being cared for. That a change maybe in communion or pushing you to think about uh, the way that you can study something about how to serve in ministry is an attack on what you care about and in essence an attack on you nothing could be further from the truth than that every action taken every word spoken from those in leadership is done from a humble heart and a servant mind yes mistakes will be made they have been made and continue to be made happening all the time but we shouldn't be surprised because we're a collection of people made, who made the ultimate mistake of sin and have been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a story, You remember John Winthrop? He was the leader of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Uh, you know, the Puritans that came over uh, to Massachusetts from England. He was their leader and they established what they called a city on a hill, the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And they were going to be a Christian community in Massachusetts and um, Eventually, John Winthrop amongst the people as he was dictating and leading and dictating and leading. Eventually, he w- they held a trial to convict him of being a bad leader. <laughs> they thought he wasn't doing a great job of it. And I'll never forget, if you read the quote, it's, um, uh, his speech is called On Liberty. And he had this to say at the trial. When they were charging him with not being a good leader, they were saying he was making some mistakes. And they, he said this, I entreat you to consider that. When you choose magistrates, leaders, you take them from among yourselves, men subject to like passions as you are. Therefore, when you see infirmities in us, you should reflect upon your own. And that would make you bear all the, all the more with us and not be severe censors of the failings of your magistrates when you have continual experience of the like infirmities in yourself and others. And his point was this, we're in this together. We're in this together. Church leadership comes from the authority of God. Church leadership is collaborative in nature. And church leadership is for the sake of God's people. That pattern has been laid down, not just in Scripture as, um, you know, encyclopedic or, or some form of written word, but it came in the form of a man. Jesus Christ, the ultimate leader of God's people, the ultimate servant of God's people, came at the command of God, under God's authority. He said, I have come here not to do my will, but his who sent me. It was God's authority that brought Jesus. Number two, he was collaborative. He worked with the Father in the power of the Spirit, was the man, everything that God wanted him to be, and ultimately, his leadership was for the sake of God's people. Everything he did, he laid down his life, he says, for the sheep, and we see that in him. And when you see that kind of leader, Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and how he is the ultimate leader of God's people, I think you'll willingly look at him and say, I don't just want you to be my savior. I want you to be my Lord. And in doing so, you'll allow him to lead your life and you become part of the body of Christ here locally. And if you need to do that, we can do that as we stand in.